Welcome to the Ethel's Business Buzz Podcast. My name is Lancia Klingensmith, and today I am thrilled to introduce you to Hanko and Laura Kiesner with PackSize and Hansi Kiesner with PackSize Now. All three are proud University of Utah alumni. Hanko and Laura actually met during their time at the university before moving to Germany and starting their family. Hanko and Laura founded PackSize, a multinational technology company that develops, manufactures, supports, and sells a full spectrum of advanced and automated packaging machine technology worldwide in 2002. Their son, Hansi Kiesner, founded PackSize Now LLC during his last semester at the University of Utah in 2016. PackSize Now provides big box store technology and pricing together with local box store service and support. Hansi also serves as a project and strategy manager at PackSize International. Thank you all so much for joining us. Welcome to the Eccles Business Buzz. How's it going today? We're doing great. Thank you, Lynch, for this uh, kind introduction. It's a pleasure to be part of this podcast here. And as you already pointed out, we have deep roots to the University of Utah and also to the David Eccles School of Business there. And given that all of our knowledge and education is from that school, how could we not be connected to it? We now have programs with employees who can get further education at the University of Utah. I'm invited regularly by professors to help them teach a class about entrepreneurship and give my experience. So we are, we are constantly involved in it. And it's fun to be here local to, to the school. Yes, it is just our honor to have you in the Eccles community. All three of you, we just count ourselves so lucky. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we're really excited to be here. I can't wait to hear more about all three of you and would love to start out if each of you could tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, and your connection to the Eccles community. So whoever wants to kick things off. I will get started. So... I'm originally from Germany. It was my father who started Corrugated over there, which didn't exist in Europe at the time. And when I graduated from the University of Utah, I went back to work with him. At that time, I was joined by Laura, who I had gotten to know here at the University of Utah. And she followed me over to Germany. We got married there. We had 10 amazing years in Germany working in two businesses my father's business that he started in 1968, and my great-grandfather's business that he started in 1872. And so when I moved over to Germany, I was in both of these businesses, working one business in the morning, then racing across town to work in the other one. And we basically worked so hard, created a great success story in those two businesses up until 2002, which is when we moved here back to Salt Lake City to start PackSize. But Laura, why don't you share how we got to know each other? I think that's that might be interesting for the audience. We love a good University of Utah love story, so I would love to hear. Well, I'm originally from Salt Lake, and I attended the University of Utah, where I earned my bachelor's and master's degrees in political science with an emphasis on international relations and business management. So of course, I took a lot of classes from the David Eccles School of Business, a lot of classes in leadership and business management. It's a fantastic school with great programs. And after my freshman year, I decided to take summer classes. And it was during one of those summer classes, a French class, that I met Hanko. He was actually in the same class. And I can still remember how he walked in, this great big smile on his face. And I remember after getting to meet him and learning that he was from Germany, just thinking, well, how curious is it? He's from Germany. He's here attending a U.S. school, and yet he's taking a French class. Uh-huh. And so that right there was, was really intriguing. And I just wanted to get to know more about him. And it was a great summer. The reason why I had to take a French class is also rooted in the fact that Later, when I got into the master's program of the David Eccles School, I was one of the graduates of the very first years of the international program. So this was the master of business with international emphasis, and you needed to have a foreign language. And so here was my story. When I applied, they looked at my application and they thought, hmm, 
you're fluent in German and in English. Well, German, we don't count as a foreign language for you because that is your native language, but we don't really count your English either because that is our native language. So you need to pick another language. And so that's how I ended up having to learn French, attending French classes, studying French poetry even. And then I spent some time Université Laval de Quebec over in Canada where they speak French. I went there for a full summer to get fluent enough in French so that I could, in fact, get admitted to the International Business Management Program. So do you guys still work on your French? Not that often since we moved here. But I have to say, when I moved over to Germany after I graduated, I used it all the time. And it actually did have big payback for us because I was the only one in the business who could actually visit and talk with French customers. So we built a really nice business in France. It was a big advantage to know the French language when you do business there. And we also have employees, team members working in France and operations in France. So from that perspective, the French language is really very useful to us. Yeah, absolutely. Hansi, will you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, definitely. So I was born in Germany. I was seven years old when my family moved here to Salt Lake City. And that was when Heiko and Laura started Paxize together. I actually did most of my schooling here in Salt Lake City, going through elementary school, junior high school. And then I started at the University of Utah and focused on business. I got a business administration degree and graduated from the entrepreneurship program as well. In my last semester was when I started Paxize Now. And that was really a concept where we could approach the market, a different market segment from Paxize. So we would focus on smaller companies and essentially my focus those first two or three years out of college was to run this business, to launch it, to start it. And really on the side, I love traveling, love photography, all of that stuff. It's not just business in my life. So That's great. When things open back up again, where are you looking forward to travel to? I would like to go back to Europe and visit my grandparents there. and do some traveling through Iceland, do some photography there. Really, I wanted to see the world actually right before COVID started. I had plans to take a few months off and and travel to some crazy places, maybe Australia. But right now, it's all about local trips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those international trips are making a comeback, I think. Yeah, soon. Oh, that's great. Thank you guys all so much for sharing. I'm so curious, moving back here, from Germany. What was the inspiration behind that move back here? And what was the why behind founding PackSize? Well, I think the biggest inspiration for moving back to Salt Lake was myself. After 10 years of living in Germany, while I loved it and I loved the culture and the people there, I was really missing my family here in, in Salt Lake City. And I was having three little kids myself and I wanted to be closer to my my family, my brothers and sisters. And so I think after seven years, we started actually thinking about, okay, if we want to move back, how would that look like and what would we do? Yeah. And that question, what we do, that was then left for me to answer because my career was actually doing great in my father's and my great-grandfather's business. We had moved them up. We were the leaders all over Europe in the specific market niches that we were supplying. And basically with this decision, I was faced with not having an income, moving to the US and starting basically from scratch. But we did make a plan before we left. We did decide that there was a big need for the special type of corrugated that my father had pioneered since the late 60s in conjunction with CNC and robotic technology and automation to create random sized packaging. And at that point in time, the internet boom had not taken off yet. We were serving a small niche market, but the idea was to create a company that combines technology, corrugated and software to create a new customer experience, which today, now that internet has really taken off and especially the pandemic has even accelerated this, we are getting more and more delivered to our homes. And don't we all get so frustrated with having this oversized, and excessive packaging delivered to our homes. 
then we feel guilty. First of all, they are difficult to open. Then there's a lot of filling material in there. And then we get frustrated when we have to put it all back into our blue garbage cans. And then we feel guilty about it. It was a bad experience. And this, these kinds of bad experiences are called triggered many millions of times a day in, all across the United States and actually across the world. But yeah, what, uh, how did we then execute on the move? So to me, being from Germany, moving to the United States means doing it by ship. So we actually got on the ship in Southampton in England. We took the Queen Elizabeth II from there to New York City. And so we were seven or eight days on, on the ocean, the, the rough wow. seas of the North Atlantic. You get sicker sometimes just being in the rough seas there. That is not a cruise. That is a crossing. And so then you arrive in New York City, you pass by the Statue of Liberty. I tell you, that was an amazing experience. Goosebumps, immigrating to the U.S., Statue of Liberty on the left, then Ellis Island. And then the ship went into Manhattan Harbor and we got off the ship. And Hansi, what was the first thing we did after we got off the ship? Yeah, and so you were, you were wearing lederhosen. I was wearing lederhosen. <laughs> <laughs> so fresh off the boat in New York City, Hanko takes me to Wall Street and tells me that someday we're going to play a role in the world's biggest economy here. So that wow. was the first thing that we did. And when I told him that, I had no clue how to make that happen. So we had just arrived. We were immigrants. And then we took the train to Salt Lake City, right, Hansi? And uh, the two of us mm -hmm. were on the train. And then Laura and the two girls took the plane. And after we arrived here, I went to see a lawyer who would help us do all the legal work to start the company. And within a week of arriving here in Salt Lake City, we had our company registered. And it was a C-Corp. And I remember sitting there and the lawyer asked me, so what type of company do you want? We have LLCs. We got C-Corps. We got S-Corps. And I said, I don't know how to decide this. How, 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 how do you decide that? And then he told me, well, the beast that made America great is the C-Corp. And that's when I said, okay, that's what we go with. How can you go wrong? And look at it now. You made that dream a reality. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. We really did. And I have to say, moving into the basement of my parents' home with three young children, it was such a huge change for us. And then yeah. to start a business. And my dad gave us an empty bedroom upstairs that we could use to start pack size. And it had purple carpet and green walls. And <laughs> that's where we started pack size. And it was just Hanko and I in the beginning doing everything. Yeah. How old were your kids at the time? Hansi was seven, and then my daughter Chantel was five, and my other daughter Casey was two. And they were the background music. Whenever anyone called, you could yeah. hear them screaming or making all sorts of noise in the background. And it was really, really challenging to my, start a business. Then. My first job at PackSize was to distract them. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's, that's exactly how I would have answered the question. The job description of the kids was put a lot of screaming noise into the background of very important negotiations with customers. Oh, that's awesome. Now, Hansi, how is it that you made your way into the family business and became involved? And I'd love to hear more about Pack Size now and the difference between Pack Size International. Yeah, definitely. So the way that I got involved, Growing up, I was always hearing behind the scenes how the business was going, all of the problems that they were having to talk through and solve. And as I got older, I could also give my input sometimes at the dinner table because every dinner conversation was about strategy, right? And so eventually I got old enough where I was at the age where I could start doing internships. And Lara and Hanko were both kind enough to say, Hey, so pack size, you can see that as a as an opportunity for learning and developing as you go through school. Not to see it as somewhere where I have a guaranteed job or anything like that, but as an institution where I have the opportunity to learn. So in high school, when I was 16, I did my first internship there in accounting. And it was my responsibility to handle all of the incoming invoices. So <laughs> I was doing that after school every day. And they eventually had to hire someone full-time to do that after I was done. From there, I 
did a marketing internship, data analysis. I helped with various projects. And then I spent a summer in Sweden, actually, where I worked in the, in the machine factory in Sweden. So this was all in early college. And really from there, I focused on just school for a few years. And then this opportunity came up where we thought we had a chance to start a new business within the PackSize International Ecosystem. Hanko, do you want to describe the PackSize business model real quick and then I'll contrast it with the PackSize Now business model? Yeah, yeah I think that's a good idea. So PackSize provides equipment, technology, software, and also corrugated that is installed at our customers' facilities so that they can make their own boxes right at the right point in time before an order ships so that the package is always perfect and perfectly sized. So all of this like unnecessary filler material that I just described, when customers use pack size, that problem goes away completely. And along the way, we are saving 98 million trees because we need less corrugated. We will be saving 24 million truckloads that are necessary today because 24 million truckloads are necessary to ship all this unnecessary shipping volume that happens when boxes are too big. So we basically provide this equipment to our customers, but we don't operate it. Our customers operate the equipment, but we are designing the, the equipment, we are building it, we are providing it to the customer, but the operating of it happens by the customer themselves. And this is where the biggest differences between PackSize now that Hansi is leading and what PackSize International does. So when we provide the equipment to our customers, they don't have to purchase it. They can just use it. We basically loan them the equipment in return for the corrugated supply and then also use fees. And it basically enables any customer to have the savings and the advantages of on-demand packaging without having to make a capital purchase requirement. And then after the machine is delivered and installed, the customer operates it. And this is where PackSize Now is actually quite different. And Hansi, over yeah. to you. Essentially, that business model is really great for getting machines out there quickly. But it also limits the size of customer that you can service. Because if they're too small, they won't have enough volume to push through that machine to justify the cost of placing that machine in their facility. And so... Our thought was, why don't we get our own production team together? Why don't we get our own machines, put them in our own building, and then aggregate the demand from small and medium-sized businesses who are too small to get their own machine? And then we enable them to order any size box anytime through a website, and then they can still get all the benefits of right-size packaging without needing their own machine. And so that's how we're now able to reach a whole new market segment. And that is the main difference between pack size and pack size now is that we're selling boxes versus pack size is providing entire solutions for a customer's facility. I think that's just really exciting, the pack size business, because before we were missing a whole segment of customers. And they're also really, really important that we include them in our mission for smart packaging for a healthy planet, because all of us are contributing to this mission and we need to be able to make sure and that we can do that now with Pack Size Now is that we can even hit those small to mid-sized customers. It also helps us with the customer life cycle. So a customer that starts up small can begin ordering from pack size now. And then when they grow to a certain size, we can then give them their own piece of equipment that they can then use to self-supply. And vice versa, companies that might shrink could be handed off from pack size International to pack size now so that we can basically take the machine back at a point in time when the customer might no longer be large enough to justify it. Yeah. Henko, Laura, how did you think of that original business model? What was your inspiration for that to just be essentially loaning out this equipment that I'm sure is pretty pricey, you know, in exchange for some of those things? Yeah, and I would say pure failure made us discover that business model because over in Germany, this was before we moved here, I was actually experimenting with this and we were trying to sell these machines. And I was traveling all over Europe. 
I would have the greatest customer meetings where people were, gosh, we really need this. But then they could never get themselves to buy it because packaging is never anyone's core competency. A furniture company wants to invest into the furniture machines, but they don't want to invest into a packaging machine. And so I was traveling all over Europe. I was getting such amazing feedback. And after about two years, I had burned through so much money with so little success that my father actually told me that I had to quit this. It was over, done with, total failure, no loss of recovery. And so I was driving one evening on the autobahn thinking, gosh, but there must be a way. It makes so much sense. Everyone looks at it, likes it, tells me that they would like to have it. And so that's when it dawned on me, it clicked. All of a sudden it clicked. We have to give the machines away. So I picked up the phone immediately. I called the office and I said, guys, I have it figured out. After two years of failure, this is what we have to do. We give away the machines. And I heard laughter. So they must have had me on the loudspeaker. So everyone was listening in because I heard a lot of laughter in the background in the office where everyone was now. And I heard voices saying, oh, he wants to accelerate the losses. He wants to accelerate the losses. So by giving away the machine so that we can lose money even faster. That was the reception. And so when we moved to the US, we had a fresh start. I could rethink this one more time and really create a cool business model around it that also was financially feasible. And I would say that was the number one thing that made PackSize take off. When we switched from trying to sell the machines to basically loaning or giving them away, that was the major lift in the business model and in the development of PackSize. When we moved here and started that and started socializing that business model, it was so different from what anyone had ever heard regarding machinery that no one was willing to believe us or support us or even wanted to loan us any capital to start the business. And so we were really facing some challenges, big hurdles that we had to overcome. Every bank we went to said no. Yeah, and you're, you're exactly right. I mean, these machines are expensive. They're a quarter million dollars in some cases. Today, it goes up to one or one, one and a half million in some cases. And so when we started, people said, you're totally nuts. This is never going to work. Giving away pieces of equipment, quarter million dollars worth, how, how is this ever going to work? And it was true that for a while, for every new customer that we took, we were a quarter million dollars in the hole in the bank. And so we got to a point where we were personally liable, Laura and I, we were personally liable for five plus million dollars in debt. And can you oh imagine goodness. that if then something goes wrong to the business? And we were living we can, in the basement with three little kids with that yeah. debt. No and pressure, $5 million no dollars in debt. <laughs> yeah, no, those were nerve wracking times. But once you get to a debt level that you can never recover from, should it go wrong, you actually start living pretty okay again because you know that you'll be living under the bridge no matter what. And so at that point, to go from 5 to $10 million in, in risk and debt, that doesn't make you feel any worse anymore because it's not recoverable in your own lifetime anymore. So There's no turning so back. That's, there's no turning back. That's exactly right. It's just such an interesting and innovative way of looking at it and such a unique way of solving that problem. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, we have all received packages. I got one this afternoon. I ordered a pack of clothespins off Amazon and it comes in a box big enough that I feel like I could fit into it. And then here you take it out and there's one little tiny pack of clothespins. And it's a frustrating problem that it's exciting to hear about all the solutions coming out of pack size to solve it. Yeah. But I think the leadership lesson really is that what you just described is that we are all aware of the problem. We all can see it every day. And then you ask the question, why hasn't everyone adopted this? And if you go back 10 years ago, for instance, you could have asked the same question. Why hasn't anyone done anything about it? My pitch to the students or to all the entrepreneurs that are listening, there is so much entrepreneurial opportunity to solve problems. We have probably more problems as a world, as a society, as humanity to solve today than we might have ever had. And entrepreneurs can solve pretty much every problem, but we have to just be entrepreneurs and do it. And so that's the fun part about, I think, what we have done here, all of us, 
to just look at a problem and solve it. What do you think the answer to that question is? There's so many companies who should be taking responsibility for their packaging and for whatever reason, they're not. How do we get those companies to make the transition? I'm sure you guys talk about this all the time, but I'm just so curious to hear your answer. It seems like a no-brainer. Most people think it's a no-brainer, of course, but when you get into it, it's really about changing human behavior. And that's where it becomes challenging because you're challenging the status quo. You have to educate people. You have to help them understand that making this move, this change, is actually going to improve their bottom line. It's going to improve their businesses. It's going to improve the labor rates they have. It's going to improve the freight charges they have. It's going to improve the sustainability impact they have. And so it's really education and helping them overcome And we ourselves need to become agents of change. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like having packaging that fits the product so well. Hanko, you mentioned being able to fill trucks more efficiently. It seems like that would coincide and really support this idea. We need it now. If I order it this morning, I want it on my doorstep tomorrow. Being able to fit more in trucks and on planes goes to support that idea. And that is why we can actually safely say from today's perspective, this problem is solved. All it takes is just companies to sign up and make the declaration and make the decision, just as Laura said, just make the decision to change and go away from a system that really does not make any sense at all for anyone and go to a system that actually works and is awesome. And anyone can sign up. And so from today's perspective, this is just a matter of Basically, companies now beginning to sign up and embarking on this journey. But yeah, this problem is solved. And our vision is that every package should fit perfectly and should deliver a great experience to the customer and also be most sustainable. No plastic involved. It's all paper-based. It fits perfectly and it is easily recyclable. We are going to take just a quick break from today's episode to talk about a really exciting event, our annual Eccles Business Open. Each year, we raise nearly $100,000 in support of student scholarships, thanks to the generous donations of alumni and friends at the Jeffrey Gelder Lewis Northwestern Mutual Eccles Business Open Golf Tournament. We are kicking this year's 25th annual celebration off with our opportunity drawing featuring a brand new location in sunny Southern California. Participate and have a chance to win a six night stay for six at a beautiful beach home in Solana Beach. Only 100 tickets will be available with a suggested contribution of $100. And after a year cooped up inside, we know they are going to go quick. Be sure to sign up to be the first to know when tickets go on sale today at the show notes below. Tickets will be available beginning July 9th at 9 o'clock a.m. Mountain Standard Time. You can also find more information at echols.link slash golf. We wish you all the best of luck. Winners will be announced at our golf tournament on August 2nd and streamed live to our Echols alumni social media platforms. Let's get back to the episode. It's exciting to think about a pack size future, right? You talked a little bit about launching pack size in the room with the purple carpet and the green walls and launching any business. I can only imagine is just really tough, especially after you have moved, you've moved your family, you have young children. But I imagine running a family business is certainly not any easier and Definitely more nuanced. How have you navigated those nuances of running a family business? First of all, yes, it looks like a family business because we are all three here. And we are discussing business every dinner, every gathering that we have, and we enjoy that. But when I look at the company itself, to me, it doesn't feel like a family business. We are now in 26 countries. We have an awesome leadership team. They are just such amazing leaders all over the world. We have leaders in Sweden, in Germany, in Australia, 
in different parts of North America. We have a facility in Louisville. As Hansi said a little bit earlier, we are building the machines in our factory in Sweden. It doesn't feel like a family business. And we share empowerment with the leadership team. The leadership team really is in charge, but we are part of it, of course. We, we are having fun, really incredible fun with it. But it doesn't feel like a family business, even though when we come home, of course, we as a family are discussing every aspect of the business. So maybe from that perspective, it really is a family business. But I think the way we are running it also with our private equity partner, we are conducting ourselves like a multinational corporation. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, uh, none of us report to each other. So we all report to different people or completely independently working within the business. And there isn't really much overlap in a lot of cases. So I think it's set up in a very good way for that. Yeah, and I think, uh, Laura, why don't you share the story of not wanting to report to me anymore? Well, when we first moved here and started the business, it was about maybe two years in. First of all, it's just staggering and overwhelming, just the sheer energy and dedication and commitment that's required to start a business. And in addition, you've got three young kids that you're raising. You're a parent to those kids. It was just completely staggering. And to to navigate that was really, really took a lot of self-awareness and understanding the leadership style and the working style of your partner and understanding that there is that difference between business and a difference between family but somehow they're married and one needs to understand and make priorities. And it was during this time that I realized that this was just not going to go well if we continued as it was. Henkel was traveling 95% of the time. I was back in the office doing all the support, supply chain, logistics, everything, and raising the kids. And he was out, you know, visiting customers and I realized that this could not go on. So I actually downloaded a contract off, to, off of the internet. I made a few tweaks to it. And when Hanko got home, I, we had sat down, had that conversation. I presented it to him and said, look, I want to work for PackSize. I want to make this company successful, but I cannot continue to report to you. You cannot see me as one of your employees. I'm your wife. I am a founder, a co-founder of this business. I am not reporting to you. And so we actually had to have that conversation and I got him to sign the contract. That was one of my most successful negotiations, I would say. I mean, put yourself into my shoes. I had to sign her unemployment contract. Normally you sign employment contracts. This was an unemployment contract. But it made a huge difference. It made a huge difference. And from then on, uh, we each had a different perspective on our roles in the company. And here we are 19 years later. Did you frame the contract? You know, I, I don't know where it is, Hako, do you? <laughs> is it still valid? <laughs> no, it's in the electronic filing system. <laughs> How did you make that transition from the two of you co-founding this business to Bringing other people in, what was that like? For me, that was really, really easy because I needed help raising the kids and then doing the business at the same time was especially challenging. And I even gave up my salary so that we could afford to hire someone else to come in wow. and be like an executive admin. Yeah, it's actually interesting because when you start the business, you play every role. I was salesperson, I was installation engineer, I was software programmer, I was uh, IT, I was a uh, clerk. I, I was basically all sorts of roles. And Laura was the same for all the other roles that I was not playing. And so every person who you hire, you have done their job. And so that's a pretty interesting feeling. Everyone who came on over the years, we had done their job. And of course, from today's perspective, I would say the business is so large that now I could not claim that anymore. Today, I would say every person at PackSize, they are so good at what they do and they are so impressive and they are so much beyond anything that I could ever do in that role. 
But for the first couple of years, it really felt a little weird because we had really mastered a lot of these roles and we had to be multi-talents. Well, it was an interesting phase, but yeah, this is where you have to develop yourself, step out of roles and empower people to do the role better. Yeah. And I have to say, my goal was always to hire someone who was better at it than I was. I always wanted to find that specialist who could come in and really improve the system or improve the process that I had created. Absolutely. How long was it from when you guys founded the company to when you brought on a new person into the mix? I think that was maybe two years. After two years, we had the first independent reps. So we couldn't hire them at first even. So those were a couple of independent reps and then we had a couple more. And the real first employee was actually an engineer who we had brought in from Sweden who helped us with the machine installation, the upkeep. And so when I was traveling at times, I would actually wear, wear bring multiple outfits. So when I went into a customer, I would actually first go in in my green overall with the machine technician and the toolbox in my hand. And I would go in through the side door and talk to the operators and, and verify that the machine was good and everyone was happy. Then I would go back outside into the car, completely change my outfit into suit and tie, then go back to the front door, check in into the reception and ask to speak with the business leaders. I have played everyone's role in that way, but I tell you, that was our first engineer. He was the most amazing technician who helped us professionalize that part of the business. That is just hilarious. They tell entrepreneurs that they have to get ready. You're going to have to wear a bunch of different hats, but they don't necessarily teach you in business school that you're going to have to wear a different outfit. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I'd like to share in the case of pack size now. So when I was starting that, I, I also had a bunch of different hats. So I had to be responsible for all the finance, the accounting. But then at times I had to jump into production, work on the production line, fix machines myself and do even delivery driving, driving the, the van or the box truck and showing up to a customer's facility acting like I was the delivery driver. <laughs> so it really is the case for almost any business that you need to start. You have to have so many different hats on. Where's pack size now currently in terms of are you still wearing all those different hats? Have you brought in people? We have 20 employees now at pack size now. The business is, is stable and we're getting ready to scale it. So right now we're just making sure that all the processes are scalable so that we can expand throughout the U.S. once we are ready. That's where the business is today. Wow. So if each of you had to offer one piece of advice for somebody getting ready to launch a business, whether that's with a family member or maybe it's just by themselves, what would that one piece of advice be? I would say that the journey is the goal. And so to focus on the steps, of course, you should know where you're headed, but you need to be flexible to walk around obstacles, to get things out of your way, but to really enjoy that journey the best you can and to do what you can to make sure that it's fun, but also sustainable and, and that you just stay focused on where you're headed. I would agree with that. One needs to really enjoy what you're doing have a passion for what you're doing and take the time to set the priorities and make time to spend with your family, make time to get to know people and enjoy the people you're working with because we have some fantastic people. They are really what makes going to work fun. I would add to, to all of this, the aspect of perseverance because we didn't, we wouldn't exist today if we had not suffered through quite a few really challenging moments, and especially when the business model wasn't worked out yet, when we were trying to sell machines, that just never worked. And to persevere through all these failures to the point where we had it fine-tuned so that we had a business model that actually was sustainable and worked for the customer and for us. I think that element is so key. When you get pushed down to come back up and figure it out and keep figuring it out until it works. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because perseverance is really the theme for this whole season of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. We're really focusing on perseverance and stories of perseverance. And I'd love to hear from each of you the biggest 
obstacle that you've had to persevere through, the biggest obstacle you've worked to overcome in your life or in your career? Well, for me, I would say the biggest obstacle was really the first five to seven years that we spent building this business, taking a young family and then starting a business, building something from nothing and not giving up. And just it took a tremendous amount of strength, not only physically, but also mentally and emotionally. And to just never give up to commit and be dedicated and be loyal to know that you are going to help make a difference by making this business successful. That is what kept me motivated and kept persevering through this entire challenge that we had of building the business. I'm pretty early in my career, but for me, the biggest crisis to navigate was COVID combined with the China trade war. So in February of 2020, PacSize now had a sales drop of over 50% from one month to the next, just because a lot of our customers were struggling to get products and parts from China, which was shutting down. And I was reading about everything that was going on and thinking through, okay, what do we do now in Salt Lake City if we have to shut down? So I was already going through all these scenarios and trying to think through what can I influence today so that we are in a safe position in two months when we might have to shut down. And so I got the whole team together and I was lucky that I had created a culture where everybody felt safe sharing their ideas, their opinions. And so with the whole team, we came up with a plan where we'd go after new customers who we thought would do well in such an environment. So emergency food companies, e-commerce, sporting goods, and we, we did really well. And that saved pack size now in that moment. And from that, we got record months. So we, we navigated the company through that crisis, which was amazing. For me, the biggest challenge always is the next iteration of the company development. And for me, it personally means that I need to adapt to a new role. And when you grow a company from nothing to hundreds of millions, then the company actually evolves in stages. And so for me, the biggest hurdle is always this transition between stages. Uh, as an example, a $10 million company behaves completely differently and runs completely differently than a $50 million company or than a $100 million company. And then you have a $400 million kind of business, and then you might get to a billion. And every time the business is completely different and behaviors and lessons that you learned in the past may no longer apply into the future. And it's those to get these transitions right. I think is every time the biggest obstacle. And we will have more of those ahead of us. And we have had many of those behind us that we successfully mastered. But I tell you, when you start from nothing and you grow all the way up to hundreds of millions, there are many stages and many biggest challenges along the way. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of the questions I had for all of you is, what's next for pack size? You know, Hanko, you were just named Mountain West Capital Network's Entrepreneur of the Year. So congratulations are definitely in order for you. And Pack Size was described in that award process as an industry leader because you, Henko, are always focused on innovation and improvement. And I think a recognition like that just begs the question, what's next? What is that next stage like you were talking about for Pack Size and Pack Size Now? Yeah, I would actually say we are just getting started. So even though we have now been into this for 19 years, it still feels like we are just getting started. There are so many technological advances, so many new applications that we are now working on and pioneering. One of the projects that I'm most excited about, I cannot even talk about because it's so super top secret. We will create opportunities and adjacent market opportunities for us that can even be bigger than anything that we have ever done up to this point. And this is technology driven, it's software driven, it's market driven. We have a lot of waves that work in our favor. The whole internet retail wave, then the whole fourth industrial revolution is in working in our favor. Automation, labor shortages, those are all topics that all work in our favor. Sustainability, customer experience, we talked about all these topics. We have so many waves that we can be riding 
And so we, we are just basically just in startup mode. It feels to me like all the time. But I think Hansia, size now, you guys are in, at a tremendous uh, like point as well. Yeah, we're rock and rolling. So we just outgrew the space that we have at the size headquarters, are moving the business to another building. And like I said, we're focusing on scalability. And once we achieve that, hopefully later this year, then we can look at our options for scaling the business throughout the U.S. step by step. And so we have such a huge runway. Uh, we've proven the, the market. We've proven the economics of the business. And now it's just about getting ready. Absolutely. Hansi, I think you mentioned earlier COVID and first yes. reading things about the pandemic, preparing for what that might look like here. We thought, oh, maybe two weeks at first. And here we are a year and a half still kind of putting the pieces together, if you will. How did the pandemic affect your business? So at first, like I said, it really affected our sales because our customers were affected. And so through them, we lost a lot of orders. And that made our employees uncertain. They got some anxiety because if there aren't a lot of orders, then what about their jobs? And so I had to make sure that everybody felt safe. And I told them that's the last thing we would ever think of doing is letting anybody go. Before that, I would give up my salary. We would do everything we can to keep everybody. And so I wanted to make sure everybody felt the pressure, but understood at the same time that their jobs were safe. And so we had to learn and adapt very quickly, wearing face masks, standing six feet apart, dispersing our shifts a little bit better. And we were really proactive about it. And I think that's what helped us the most was getting everybody on the same page really early and just leading that effort from the top. Yeah, at Pexas International, I had two emotions. The first one was being totally terrified because we also carry a lot of debt to finance the machines that we are placing with our customers and then to not have any revenue, which we need to pay off the loans that are attached to all of these machines that can actually put the whole business at risk. And so I was terrified on behalf of Size International when it all hit. And at the same time, I remember the Friday when I was driving home. That was the Friday when everything was shutting down. I had just come back from a trip from Atlanta. This was one of the last flights coming back to Salt Lake City. And as soon as a couple of days after I landed here, everything started shutting down. And we had such amazing, crazy years where I was almost relieved. I was almost relieved. Is all this craziness going to slow down now? Are we going to get some room to breathe? And so it was a mixture of being totally terrified and then also personally relieved because we were just traveling everywhere. And I was thinking, okay, this is going to stop now. The world is going to stop. And so then we had to basically reposition the business because we did lose 30% of our volume because customers were shut down. And when our customers are shut down, we are not selling anything. So we put in what we call a pack size protection plan, PPP. What are the odds that it's, it's the same PPP that the government, right? The pack size protection plan, we put that in place and it worked phenomenally. We did not separate from people. We held everyone and we, we are people organization. We said people are the number one priority. So that is what we want to aim for. But we will also have to be incredibly careful. So we made some many different, very hard decisions, except for separating from people. And I think we came roaring back. We are today growing so much faster. So in hindsight, the, the pandemic actually, I think, helped us. It created another tailwind or another wave we could ride. But in the moment, we were thinking we might lose the business over it. Well, I also have to say we did, our team did a fantastic job at implementing new procedures and policies to help keep the team safe while they're at work and working remotely. And to this day, knock on wood, we still have not yet had a workplace transmission of COVID. So we are really excited and proud of how we've handled this whole pandemic. And kudos goes to our people for following those new policies and procedures when they do come to work. I feel like all of you are passionate about minimizing your environmental impact and really committed to clean air specifically. 
Can you tell me more about that commitment and how you're incorporating it not only into the business strategy of Pack Size International and Pack Size Now, but also into your personal lives? When we started Pack Size, I made the commitment that I didn't want to start just any business with the same problems that some or, or many businesses actually have, which is they need to be profitable, but then they end up being profitable at the expense of the society. And some good examples are the extractive uh, industries, refining, mining, where, where you have a lot of pollution coming out. And now when you add up the pollution or the destruction to the planet and you compare that with the profit of the company, the destruction might actually be a higher number than the profit and than the good that the company might have ever done. And I said, for me, the bottom line needs to be after you subtract social and environmental expenses, because only then you can really be proud of the business, because otherwise your balance sheet is still negative. Because if you create a higher cost to society than what your profit is, you haven't done anything for society. But that's not what accounting principles allow you to see it. Because the balance sheet usually stops at the profitability line. It doesn't include social expenses. So from the get-go, I wanted to, to create a company that I'm proud of. And I wouldn't be proud of it if we were doing more damage than we were doing good. So that is where we came up with, we need to be sustainable. We need to drive electric cars. We need to have the lowest possible carbon footprint in anything we do ourselves. Now, of course, the biggest sustainability impact we have through our products in the context of material savings, transportation savings, fuel savings, when the supply chains that we are empowering are working much more effectively. Yes, and in addition to all of that with our business, in our personal lives at home, we are fully on solar. We're able to power our home and our cars. We all drive EVs through solar. And then there's the Rocky Mountain Wind Program that helps supplement that. And we're also, you know, recycling and conserving water. We're doing everything we can in our personal lives to help support the sustainability mission that we have. Yeah, in fact, we are not even connected to the gas, to the fossil fuel gas supply anymore. That has been completely shut off to the house. We are entirely electric and we are self-powered for all the energy needs that we have at home. And we are close to that here at the business as well. That's incredible. I am so appreciative of all of you joining today and sharing all your stories of perseverance together and individually. And it's been so fun to hear how the business has grown and transformed. And I can't wait to celebrate what I'm sure will be a wonderful new extension or growth of Pack Size, this super secret secret that you mentioned. We can't wait to celebrate it with you all and hear more about that. So Thank you all so much. And thank you for your continued support and engagement with the business school. We are just so lucky to have you all in the Eccles community. Thank you so much. It was fun to hold this interview with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. If you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe using your favorite podcast player and be sure to give us a rating and review. You can check out more of our content at echoes.link slash business buzz. Until next time, go Utes.